Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Many years ago, my wife and I were early in our marriage. We're living in Vancouver uh, where we were tenants in a place we rented with a landlord who not only did not live in our city or province, didn't even live in our country. And the property management company, to say it kindly, was very, very slow to act on any kind of repairs uh, that were needed. And that gets to be tiring after a while. Um, But our income was also pretty low. We were basically missionaries to university students, and that's what we were doing at that particular time. And so it wasn't like, you know, we had the resources to go out and buy a house. By the way, the interest rate back then was about 14%, and all the millennials went, whoa. (laughs) So owning your home really, really seemed quite out of reach. But eventually, my wife Leslie spoke to me about it and said, you know what? Scripture says in Deuteronomy that we're the head and not the tail, but I feel like the tail in this situation. And yet God says we're supposed to be the head. And she actually challenged me to to begin to believe that promise in regards to God changing our housing situation and believing that we'll own our own home, you know, and all of that. And I think she actually had a dream about that as well. So... The next time that uh, we got a tax return, you know, the next spring came around, got a tax return. It was like a thousand bucks, and we decided, you know what, we're going to put this in a savings account. It's not near enough for a deposit or, or whatever, but it's like, let's just do this as an act of faith, as a seed that says, we believe God is going to make a way for us to own our own home. And so we did that. We, we, you know, it, wasn't, it wasn't so much about the amount, but it was about the intent and the act of faith that it was. About a year later, that promise came to pass for us, and we were able to buy our first home. And I'm not going to give you all the details. There's a lot more to the story. But here's the thing. The promise was always there in God's Word. The promise was always there. However, it didn't work for us until we got it into our hearts. And we begin to embrace it and respond to it and act on it. And if we, we could have looked at that promise with just excusing ourselves and, uh, you know, from, from seeing it come to pass, uh, and, and if we had, it probably would have, wouldn't have happened, but we could have taken a different approach. We could have looked at what the Word of God says about being the head and not the tail and these things and, and just been cynical about it or just had our excuses and said, yeah, Lord, that works everywhere else except in Vancouver. Um, just had unbelief towards it. You know, just thought, well, Lord, you know, we need to be reasonable about this and we need to be logical about this. And, and Lord, let me explain to you why this won't work here and just refuse to trust God to make a way for us and thought that, well, maybe that promise is meant for other people. But instead, we embraced it, believed it, trusted God to make it happen. And um, even though we did not have a clear understanding of how it would happen, we just decided we're going to believe and let God take care of the details. I want to talk to you about receiving from the promises of God. When it comes to receiving God's promises in your life, first thing is this, guard against taking a passive approach to the promises of God for your life. 
Guard against a passive approach. You know, you are not a passive spectator to what God wants to do in your life. You, you are not like sitting in the bleachers watching Jesus do whatever he wants to do in your life. You're not on the sidelines waiting to see what happens. You are part of the process. You are actively engaged in whatever it is that God's doing in your world. Sometimes people take this passive approach that just sort of views the work of God in their life as being completely and totally independent of them. And, and it comes out of their mouth. You'll hear them say things like, well, we'll just see what God's going to do. Or, you know, you never know what God's going to do. And, and there can be things good and bad going on in their world. And they're like, yeah, all this is going on. I, I don't know, really know what God is doing. Like as though they're not engaged in this. And statements like this do not reflect a faith in the promises of God or any sense of expectation. They're passive. You are not just some observer hoping that something will happen. And, and, you know, like, and here's the other thing we do is we're just sort of observing and then we're like, okay, if it's God's will, I guess it'll happen. And if it happens, then we say, well, I guess it must have been the will of God. But if it hasn't happened yet, then we go back to the will of God, uh, you know, explanation and say, well, I guess maybe it's not God's will. And there are things happening in your life that are clearly not the will of God and could misdirect you in your choices. And it's God's will that you would address those things. So just to look at things going on in your life and say, well, well, maybe I should evaluate this activity as whether or not it is the will of God is a wrong approach. The will of God is found in the word of God. And so are there things going on in your life that are not the will of God right now? Yeah, there could be. For instance, comparison's not the will of God. People do it all the time. Look at other people's lives on social media. You notice they only put, post the uh, good stuff, right? They don't post the whole story, just the good stuff. Here's the highlights. We look at that highlight reel and then get into comparison. It messes up our own happiness in our life. People have anger, you know, in their, in, in their life and maybe some unforgiveness, some bitterness, something where it's like, you know, this was wrong, I know it's wrong, and they're just holding on to that, and, and yet it's the will of God that they forgive that person. As a matter of fact, I was just um, reading a book. Well, I was reading it by listening to it on audio, so I was listening to a book, okay, I'll put it that way, where a guy talked about somebody trying to get healed for about 10 years, and then finally he, he realized he had some anger in his heart, something he'd never forgiven, and when he forgave that person, the miracle took place in his life to receive his healing. He could have sat back and said, well, I guess it's not God's will for me to be healed. No, it's God's will for you to forgive, and your unforgiveness is keeping the healing from coming into your life. There could be lust. There could be fear and worry. Some people are professionals at worry. You notice that? It could be laziness. It could be all these different things. They're not the will of God. But if you allow those things into your life, they will affect your choices. And then you can stand back and look at what's the, what is the outcome and say, well, I guess this is what God seems to be doing. I guess this seems to be his will or not his will. But it's got nothing to do with that. It's got something to do with these other issues that you're not addressing in your life. And if these things aren't addressed, they will impact your choices and impact your consequences. And then you can passively say, well, I guess it's God's choice whether or not this happened. Second Peter 1 through 3, uh, 3 through 4 says this, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us 
his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Through the promises of God, you live a godly life. Through the promises of God, you participate, the Bible says, in his divine nature, and we escape the corruption caused by evil desires. The will of God is that you and I would live a godly life, and it's through his promises that are taken to heart and believed in that we are empowered to be able to do that. You know, it's when we believe things like when the scripture says, you know, old things pass away, all things become new, that you're a new creation in Christ, that you're able to anticipate things are about to change. I'm not gonna be the same old, same old. I'm not just gonna have the same repeated patterns. Why? Because there's a promise that says I'm a new creation in Jesus. So guess what? Some old things are passing away. New things are coming into my life. I can overcome temptation. How do you know that? Because there's a promise that says God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to escape. That promise gives me the right and the expectation and the faith to overcome temptation in my life. There's promises. Go ahead, clap, yes. I need a drink anyway. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm not a slave to habits. I'm not a slave to addictions. Why? Because the Bible tells me if I'm in Christ, I'm free. So therefore, I have the power to choose in any of those situations. Because of Jesus, I have the ability to forgive. I've been forgiven, empowering me to forgive others. I don't need to continue to hold bitterness in my heart over things in the past. I can let it go. I can put it in the hands of God and move on. Listen, God has a plan for you, and you can stick with it. Why? Because he's got promises that say, I have a plan for you. I'm watching over your life. I'm gonna perform it. You don't need to get into comparison or jealousy or covetousness towards somebody else's world. You just get to live in your relationship with Jesus and watch his purposes get fulfilled in your life. The promises are how we obtain the plan of God for our lives. As you walk with the Lord, you get vision in your heart. It'll happen as you just walk with him. God's dream comes into your life for your marriage, for your family, for your career, for how God wants to use you to minister to other people. And then it's faith in the promises of God that brings the fulfillment of that dream that he's put in your heart. Romans chapter four and verse 18 says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. That was his promise. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he's about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Abraham kept his faith in the promises of God in order to fulfill the purposes of God for his life. God's purposes for you come in the form of promises. And how we respond to the promises can determine our future. Hebrews chapter six and verse 12 says, we don't wanna become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith 
and patience inherit what has been promised. He says, I don't want you to become lazy. Why would you say the word lazy in connection with promises? After all, they're God's promises. He made them up. We didn't make them up. He did. And then he gives them to us, and he says, this is what I'll do in your life. What does laziness have to do with it? Here's the deal. Laziness connotates the fact that you're a participant in the promises of God. The promises of God are not passive. They're not something you just sit back and go, well, God promised it. I guess he's just gonna go ahead and make it, make it happen. I'm just waiting on the Lord, you know? Yes, okay, so you can be waiting on the Lord, but are you believing while you're waiting? What's going on inside of you while you're waiting? Abraham was waiting on the Lord. He got his promise that he would be a father of a nation when he's 75. He's now 100. It's been 25 years of waiting on the Lord. Come on, that's a lot of waiting. 25 years of waiting on the Lord. Here's what the scripture says. He was, during that time, he was actually growing stronger in his faith. In other words, it wasn't passive. It wasn't like, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. It wasn't a passive thing. He was meditating on those promises. He was envisioning God fulfilling it. He was, that was what was going on in his heart. His faith was strengthened, even though he's waiting, even though it's been 25 years, inside of him was still just absolutely strong and convinced that God could fulfill what God had said he could do. Abraham might have been waiting on the Lord, but he was strengthened in his faith at the same time. Another translation says, don't become spiritually dull and indifferent. So what does indifference look like? It's this, it's this attitude that says, well, if it happens, it happens. You're indifferent. God says, don't, don't be indifferent. Have a position. Have a position of faith. Have a position that says, God promised it. I'm expecting it. Don't be indifferent. Promises are active. They're not passive. They're to be believed in. They're to be waited for. They're, they require patience. They're to be pursued. They're to be spoken out of your mouth in confidence. They're to be prayed for. They're to be pondered and meditated on in your heart. And they're to be acted on. You know, Abraham, he was promised he would be the father of a nation, but he was also told by God, I want you to leave this place and go to a place where I'm gonna show you where you're to go, and that's where I'm gonna fulfill the promise for you. So the promise wasn't, wasn't like, well, Abraham, it doesn't matter what you're doing. I'm just gonna go ahead and do this. No, God gave him an action where his action would show God that he actually believed that God was gonna do this in his life. There are seven miracles in the Gospel of John. And here's what's common about all of those miracles. Here's what's consistent. Every single one of those miracles center around taking action based on the words of Jesus in order to receive the promise. They're all action-oriented. They're not passive. Seven miracles. Here's what they are. First one, turning water into wine. What does Jesus say to his disciples? Get the pots, fill them with water, scoop it out, take it to the head table. Healing the official son in Capernaum. He looks at the guy and he says, here's what I want you to do. Go home, your son's healed. You just start, start walking. Believe me, when you get there, he'll be fine. The third one, healing the invalid at the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. What does he say to the guy? Get up, get up. The fourth one, feeding the 5,000 near the Sea of Galilee. What does Jesus do with his disciples? Get everybody to sit down ready to receive their food. Oh, we got some little kids lunch. Just get them to sit down. We'll have a truckload here in a minute. And that's what he does. The fifth one, 
walking on water at the Sea of Galilee, turns to Peter. What does he say? Come. The sixth one, healing the blind man in Jerusalem. Jesus, you know, spits in some mud, puts it on the guy's eyes, and then he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And his action of doing that restored his sight. The seventh one, raising Lazarus from the dead in, in Bethany. What does Jesus say? Remove the stone off his tomb. Jesus, he's been there for four days. Going to be stinky. Move the stone. In other words, why don't you act as though he's already alive and get that stone out of the road so he can walk out of there? You are not the passive spectator of what God is doing in your life. You are the active participant in pursuit of his plan and his purposes. What is it that he has called you to do that you need to do that demonstrates your faith and your participation in the promises of God for your life? Number two. I can tell you what I had to do. I can tell you what our family had to do. We had to move here. Simple. We had to move here. God called us to move here to start, start the church. There wasn't a church here to move to. We just were told by the Lord, the Holy Spirit put in our heart. Why don't you, as a matter of fact, it was about just a matter of weeks after we bought that first home, the Holy Spirit said, you're leaving. I know, you think that's funny. We made a bunch of money selling that house a few weeks later, <laughs> moving right along. But if we if we just said, Lord, we're gonna wait till you have a church for us to go to, we'd still be there. Number two, the condition of your heart determines the effectiveness of his promises in your life. The condition of your heart determines the effectiveness of God's promises in your life. There's a parable where Jesus talks about a sower and seed. And in that story, he's talking about, he's using a farming illustration. The seed is scattered. It's just going randomly on all these different surfaces. And it goes on a, on a pathway that's all packed down hard. Of course, nothing happens. It goes on another surface where there's like stones that are in the soil. So it sprouts up, but it quickly dies thereafter. Then another seed that goes in where there's like thorns and, and weeds and they choke it out. So it doesn't make it. And then finally it lands on good soil and produces fruit. And then he gives this explanation in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 18. He says, listen then to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one sown with seed beside the road. The one sown with seed on the rocky places, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution occurs because of the word, immediately falls away. And the one sown with seed among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. And the anxiety of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown with seed on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces same, uh, some 160 and 30 times as much. There's only one variable in this particular parable, and that is this, the soil. That's it. The seed is consistent throughout. The soil is what is constantly changing. The seed is consistent. The seed never changed. The seed doesn't even determine what sort of soil it lands on, but the soil determines the results of the seed. That's how it is with the promises of God. It's how we respond to the promises of God. It's the condition and intention of our heart that makes all the difference with what the word of God will do in your life. 
So how do you respond to the word of God? How do you respond? Jesus here is giving us four different kinds of responses. The first one is to be dismissive. You can be dismissive towards the promises of God. You can just brush them off. It's like the word just hits hard ground. You can just brush them off and, and you can hear the word of God and be kind of like, well, you know, I don't know if that's for me. You hear about miracles and healing. It's like, I don't know if that's for me. You hear about the promises of God having a plan and a purpose for your life and think, well, I'm sure he does for some people. I'm not so sure if it's for me. You can hear about God wanting to use you to minister to other people, make a difference in their world and think, well, that's what God does through other people, but not for me. You're dismissive towards the word of God. There can be any number of promises from God's word that you can hear and have a dismissive heart that just sheds them like water off a duck, thinking it's not for me, it's for someone else. Or maybe you can go this way where it's like, oh, I tried that, it didn't work for me. Yeah, that's another way we become dismissive. And that is that we allow it to be unbelief when we've stepped into something that didn't work for us. And then we go, I guess that's not really for me. I, I, I know this in God's word, but you know, I tried it, it didn't work. Can I tell you, there's a few churches that I was involved with helping before starting this one that aren't in existence right now. Yeah, tried it, and it didn't work so well. But I learned some things along the way. And I didn't quit on God's plan and allow failure to become unbelief. Oh, that was good. Let's move on. Here's the second one. If you don't get into this, I will. Okay, here's the second one, being superficial. You know, you can be superficial with the word of God. So how's that happen? Well, you can say yes with your words, but do you really allow the word to get down into your heart where there's an agreement where you believe in your heart? Or are you just saying yes with your mouth, but you don't do anything about it? There's no corresponding action to it. Uh, yeah, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, but, you know, this getting out of the boat thing, I don't know if I want to do that. I'm not really ready to move a stone from Lazarus' grave. You know, uh, Lord, I, I don't really want to take the water to the head table. I mean, what if it doesn't work? Well, we're not dealing with those issues, but you can be saying yes to the Lord, but then saying, but Lord, I don't really want to share my faith. That's not really for me. Lord, I don't really want to get involved in church. I just want to attend and watch church, but, but that, Lord, I don't really want to be generous. Lord, Lord, I believe in you, but I, and we can have all these things where it's like, we're saying we believe in Jesus, but do we have corresponding action or are we just superficial with our faith? The Bible actually calls it dead faith. We can hear the promises of God. We can be excited about how those promises will bless our life and yet not willing to cooperate with how it will change you. You see, promises don't just bring blessing, they bring change at the same time. Let me give you a few. We've got singles here. You know what they pray for? Here's what they pray for. Oh God, give me a spouse. Lord, I was at church on Sunday. I saw this couple, they look so cute. Oh God, give me a spouse. Bless me, Lord, there's promises in your word for a spouse. They're laughing because I know it's true. But here's the thing. When you get blessed with a spouse, how many of you know something? Change is coming to your life at the same time. All the newly married couples said, okay, thank you. <laughs> the other ones were afraid to say that. <laughs> but it's 
true. Yeah, I got blessed with a marriage and then I just found out I was selfish. I didn't know I was selfish. I was never selfish when I was by myself, but now that I'm with somebody else, apparently I'm selfish. I found out I found out I have a tone. I never knew I had a tone. I always thought I just talked the same way all the time. Sometimes I have a tone. You're praying, Lord, bless us with children. Listen, every time God adds another child to your life, there's a degree less of selfishness inside of you that has to be given up. Change comes with blessing. It's just the way. Lord, would you grow my business? Isaiah says, stretch out your tent pegs. All these promises of growth. Listen, when God grows your business, get ready. Now you're gonna have to deal with facility issues. Now you're gonna have to deal with more staff issues. How many of you know something? Blessing also brings challenges at the same time. Lord, use me to minister to others. And God says, okay, I want you to free up your schedule. I'm about to interrupt some of the things you're doing. You can't be superficial and love the outcome of God's promises while resisting the process that it takes for them to be fulfilled. Here's the third one, being preoccupied. You can be preoccupied with the material world and miss out on God's purposes for your life. When it talks about anxiety and the deceitfulness of riches, these are heart issues. Your heart can be filled with anxiety or it can be filled with hope. It can be filled with expectation. It can be filled with peace. Your heart can be deceiving you into thinking, well, if I just had more stuff, then I would be happier in life. In either case, this is a heart problem that is choking out the promises of God from working in your life. Your attention to the promises of God and seeking him with your life is the heart behind receiving from the Lord. It's about getting in his presence, getting to know Jesus more. And, and so God calls us to do things like, excuse me, have a daily time with God. Have a time where we're reading scripture, where we're praying, where we're writing out verses that speak to our heart, where we're journaling our prayers, doing these kinds of things. But if your response to the opportunity to know Jesus more is to tell him, I'm just too busy to do those things. Listen, why would you back off on spiritual disciplines when you are in a spiritual battle? So what do you mean I'm in a spiritual battle? Well, Jesus identifies it. First of all, he talks about the worries of this life, the worries of this world, anxiety, do you know what anxiety is? It's a form of fear. Do you know what fear is? It's a spiritual condition. Why? Because you can have fear and there's absolutely nothing that you, can be, that you really need to be afraid of. The scriptures identify fear as a spiritual condition. It's a spiritual battle. He talks about the deceitfulness of riches. What's deceit? Deceit is when you're in deception. How do you get into deception? Through a deceiver. Who's the deceiver? Scripture identifies the devil as the deceiver. Yeah, but I don't believe in the devil. He's already deceived you. Okay. <laughs> Listen, the preoccupation of the material world at the expense of your spiritual life is what can cause you to lose a spiritual battle and live in deception and worry. Where do we want to go? We want to be fruitful. We can have a heart that's receptive to God's word that allows it to do its work in our world. Okay, last one, number three. Receiving God's promises starts with getting them in your heart. Getting them in your heart. You know, over and over throughout scripture, Jesus would comment to people who had received the promise of God, a healing, a miracle, something like this, and he would say, you know what? It was your faith that made that happen. Now, God's the healer. 
God is the one who does miracles. He's the one who does the supernatural work. He, he sets people's destiny in order. He gifts people, all the rest of it. But Jesus gave recognition that they had expectations in their heart that God was responding to. And so you read phrases in the Gospels like, your faith made you well. Let it be done to you according to your faith. Your faith has saved you. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 9, it says, this man was listening to Paul as he spoke, and Paul looked at him intently, and then it says this, and saw that he had faith to be made well saw that he had faith to be made well. In other words, there was an expression of anticipation, of expectation, of something good is about to happen in my life. As this man is listening to Paul preach and he's looking at him, he wasn't sitting there going, okay, well, we'll see what happens. You know, I might go forward for prayer at the end of the service. Uh, you know, I'm not really sure. No, no, he, he's got this sense of expectation in his heart, faith in his heart. Paul said, I could see this guy had faith to be made well. And then he looks at him and, and it says, in a loud voice says, stand upright on your feet. And the man leaped up and began to walk. When Paul looked at his man, this man, though, he didn't see neutrality. He didn't see passivity. He certainly didn't see unbelief and discouragement. He saw hope and expectation in this man's heart. This person expressed their belief literally on their face and on their countenance that they were about to receive. He wasn't neutral. He wasn't passive. He wasn't a spectator in the miracles happening. He was a participant. Yeah. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. He says, all that we ask or that we think, ask or think, that phrase denotes expectation. Expectation. What am I thinking? What am I thinking? Maybe more important question is this. What's leading my thinking? Is it God's promises or my problems? What am I asking? More specifically, what am I praying for? What am I praying for? By the way, stop praying your problems and start praying God's promises. You should be filling your heart with the promises of God, praying his promises over your circumstances, declaring his purpose, declaring his plan, declaring his will, praying his promises over your problems, not praying your problems. It's amazing how that Jesus would meet people and, uh, you know, they would be like blind or crippled or whatever. And then Jesus would ask this question. He would ask, he would ask this question. He would say, what do you want? What do you want? Here's what Jesus didn't ask them. Jesus would not meet somebody with an obvious need and ask them, what do you need? He never asked, what do you need? He always asked, what do you want? There's a difference between the two. The reason Jesus asked, what do you want? is so that he could hear their expectations coming out of their heart by what they would say. How they would respond to that 
showed where their faith was at, where their expectation was at, where their hope was at, where their anticipation was at, and Jesus would meet them at that point of hope and faith and expectation. What do you want is the question he would ask, looking for the expectations coming out of their heart. And then we see in the scriptures where he complimented them and said, your faith has made you well. Luke chapter six and verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. How many of you know our heart is not neutral? Our heart is not in a position of neutrality where it doesn't really have anything in it. Our heart has something in it. Our heart can be shaped. Our heart can be full of fear or confidence. It can be full of worry or peace. It can be full of expectation or full of discouragement. You get to choose what you put in your heart. You get to build your expectations. What am I meditating on? What is it that's coming out of my mouth? That's, what's, that's what reflects what I've got in my heart. What God puts in your hands will start in your heart. What God will put in your hands will start in your heart. That's why seeking him, spending time with him, getting into God's word, spending time in prayer, spending time in worship in a place like this. Listen, it was in church in worship that I first heard the Holy Spirit call me into ministry. Why? Because I just got into God's presence. When you get in the place of his presence, you hear his word. You hear the Holy Spirit speak to you. And then God can put things in your heart that will eventually come into your hand. But it starts with getting his dream, his promises, his vision in your heart. Let's stand as we take time to pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for each and every one of us here. Fill Fill hearts with expectation. Lord, as we get into your word, fill hearts with the promises of God from your word. Lord, let, let us not just gloss over scripture as a, as a habit of daily reading, but, but let us really meditate on it. Let us let the word of God speak to us. Let us let the promises of God speak into our world, Lord. And Lord, let that be the meditation of our heart. Let that, be, let that be what comes out of our mouth and what comes out of our prayers, Lord, that we would just speak the promises of God over our life, anticipate the move uh, that, that you're gonna make and how you're gonna use us and work through us and, and answer the question, what do we want? Lord, I thank you, Lord, as you fill our lives with the promises of God that, Lord, you're filling our life with purpose and vision and expectation and anticipation. And that God, that we get to watch you work beautifully in our lives. With our heads still bowed, I wanna pray one more prayer. You know, Jesus talked about this parable of the seed coming into people's lives, coming onto the ground, but he, he's using it as an illustration of the word of God coming into people's lives. And some can be dismissive and, and, and some can be dismissive towards the gospel. Oh yeah, the gospel, I know about that. But you're not letting it change your life. Or you can have a superficial response to the gospel where it's like, oh yeah, I'd like to be forgiven. I'd like to have eternal life. And yet God's also calling you to repent. Here's what repent means. Repent means you've got, you've got to change your mind about what you think about things. And when you have sin in your life, when you're doing things that are in disobedience to God's word, you've got to change those things out of an act of repentance. That is, I've changed my mind. I don't believe this is how Jesus wants me to live. I'm not going to do that anymore. 
But if we're not willing to change, then to confess Jesus is just superficial. Some may have been preoccupied, and maybe that's you. Maybe there was a moment in your life where you said yes to Jesus, but you let the concerns, the cares, the ambitions of life fill your life so much so that it has literally choked out any kind of spiritual life that you've ever had. But here's the good news about soil. That is this. It doesn't matter the condition it has been. God can always change it into what it needs to be. It can always be changed to what it needs to be. And you can change right now. Maybe you've been dismissive, but today you can stop that. Maybe you've been someone who's been superficial. Yeah, I want the blessing of Jesus in my life, but you can also decide, and Lord, I'm willing to change. Maybe you've been that person, you've just allowed other things to, to consume you, those weeds that grew up, that choked out the word of God, and say, Lord, you know what? I'm not gonna allow the busyness of life keep me from the purpose of life, walking with you. Then today's your day. This is your moment to respond to the Holy Spirit, to respond to the call of God, to give your life to Jesus and begin to follow him as your Lord and Savior. So you just bow your heads as we take this moment of prayer. And I wanna ask, how many here, whether it's any of those three that I've given or conditions that I've talked about, but you're willing to say, today I'm making a decision to allow Jesus to be Lord and Savior and follow him with all of my heart. With our heads bowed, how many here would just say, Pastor, include me in that prayer. Give me a wave if that's you. Today, that's your decision. Lord, today, I'm following Jesus. Today, I'm giving him my whole life. Today, I'm giving him my whole heart. Awesome, thank you guys, all over this place. Let's pray with those who are praying here right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you gave your life on the cross and died for my sins and rose again to give me new life. I ask you to forgive me and I invite you into my life and I confess you as my Savior and my Lord and I'm choosing today to follow you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationemmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.